When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dubai, Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and Warchant TV on Alivations Friday. Good to be with you. As always, I think most of us are in a good mood today. Hell, I'm even in a good mood in day two of my COVID run. That's why I'm here at the house and Tom is in studio. But hey, we're getting better. Things are moving in the right direction, I do believe. And the same can be said right now as far as Florida State baseball goes and really just a general feel for the athletic department the upcoming season and uh reasons to be excited so this morning if you missed it right off the bat let me plug some things first of all i'll thank you for being here as always if you're listening on 93.3 real talk radio appreciate that obviously if you're listening on war chant tv make sure you go ahead and like and subscribe all that good stuff that helps us reach more people helps out the station helps out the website as well uh but uh you know this morning we did a video tom where we Welcome to link Jared in as the new head coach at Florida State. And, you know, I think I think a couple of things stand out here. We, we've talked about that, um, how important it's been to get that hire done, uh, how important it was for Mike Alford, the new athletic director, to uh, hit a home run here. Uh, it, it, obviously, baseball is not football, uh, but people do care about it passionately, and this was an obvious candidate with all of the connections you could possibly want to Florida State University, given that he grew up here, of course, played here and was an All-American here and then wanted this job, wanted to coach here, has uh, made that abundantly clear and then goes off and becomes the coach that he has become, which is meaning, you know, you think about his success at UNC Greensboro, you think about the success that he had at Notre Dame. It's all lined up to this day. And so all you had to do was make it happen and don't drop the ball. And Michael Alford did just that. And Florida State got their guy. I think the other thing that really stands out to me here, and we'll get into the larger ramifications, a couple things. And that video from earlier this morning, once the announcement was made by Florida State, is up on Warchant.com and on Warchant TV if you want to go find it on YouTube. The other thing is I don't think uh, – and, and, and you can tell that there is a mindset, a collective mindset amongst Florida State fans – you see it a lot on Twitter, but you certainly see it on the boards and you see it in interactions. And that is this feeling that Florida State doesn't have a fighting chance if other schools who they deem to have more money uh, than them um, it, it are involved. And, and that's simply not true. Florida State still has a lot of cachet. 
Uh, this baseball program is infinitely superior to that of Notre Dame's. And as long as they were competitive, Florida State was always going to get Link Jarrett. And I saw a lot of people say, oh, this won't be uh, a, a fight that Florida State can win. And again, I think that reveals that that mindset, you know, that, that Florida State is not in the running uh, in big-time athletics for elite-level coaches and players uh, because of the direction that college of athletics have gone. It's just not true. Now, are there people that you can't beat out if it becomes solely about the money? Yeah, sure. There are a lot of schools that uh, have more money, richer alumni, et cetera. Um, but, but, you know, it's not always just about the money. And moreover, Florida State isn't broke. They're getting out from under the Willie Taggart situation. Uh, they're starting to, to come into a situation where they have more money to fight uh, these fights with. And moreover, again, it's a desirable place to be, man. Florida State's place in college baseball history is uh, still up there amongst the elite programs. And so I'm glad Link Jarrett now is at the helm with the opportunity to cash in on those advantages. It's a seven-year deal, we're told. So obviously that is a commitment. Throw in the mix that Link is back where he grew up, back where he played, and back to a program that he has a lot of passion for, loves, and knows a lot about the ins and outs, all those relationships, the state of Florida, the ability to recruit here. I think he'll do a great job. Seemed like a slam dunk hire. And today that happened. And it manifests itself really quickly, too. They didn't wait around. This didn't get drawn out in a way that made everybody uncomfortable. Um, you know, the timeline was what you would have expected it to be for a man who was competing out in Omaha. His team gets eliminated. He's able to say goodbye to his players, able to thank the people he needed to thank at Notre Dame and then turn his attention to a much better job, which is the Florida State job. And it is a much better job than most places, not just Notre Dame, a much better job than most places around the country. Now, it'll be curious, and I think the answer is going to be yes, this is a guess on my part, that not only have you made the commitment to Link Jarrett, you've clearly made the commitment to baseball by doing that, which tells me that there will be changes for Florida State baseball for the positive above and beyond the coach. I think that they'll invest in the stadium. Uh, I don't know what the future plans for Hauser are, but obviously it needs a massive facelift, if not uh, a total destruction and rebuild. We'll see what happens. But I do think that you don't make this move to commit the money in the long-term years on that contract to Link Jarrett without making an overall commitment to baseball that allows that guy to succeed. You don't just bring him in here and say, overcome these things that obviously will be used against you in recruiting. You bring him in here, you lock him in and say, okay, we're going to make some changes here. We're going to make it easier for you to win those recruiting battles because you've, you've signaled that you're committed to baseball. Good news. Yeah. Conversely, I'd say that Link Jarrett doesn't commit to Florida State unless he gets assurances that those things are going to happen. His stock could not be higher across the country, and he could have stood pat if he didn't hear what he wanted to hear from Florida State, remained at Notre Dame for another season, and his resume wouldn't have been tarnished no matter what happens next year. So to me, either way you look at it, if you make this higher, you're making a commitment to baseball. Uh, if you're going to accept the job and take on the job at Florida State, if you're Link Jarrett, who's in a position of power right now, you're not going to do so without assurances. So it's a good day across the board. And again, you know, as a Knoll fan who's seen a lot of hirings get botched or situations with simple PR matters get botched, it was nice to have a clean one. This was a clean exchange, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't think people know what to do with themselves. That includes those of us who cover the program. Like half the time you see these things play out, and you're like, well, what's going to go wrong here? What's going to get ugly? Nothing got ugly here. This was as straightforward as it comes. They identified their candidate early on. Once the decision was made 
to part ways with Mike Martin Jr. I think that's where you have to start, by the way. You have to start with Michael Alford having the kind of power that other ADs haven't had post-Dave Hart. This has come to fruition now because, uh, you know, I've talked about this for years. I've talked about the bungling of situations within the athletic department because of the lack of continuity um, in terms of who's in charge, who has power, who doesn't. You've had university presidents that were de facto athletic directors. You've had athletic directors whose hands were tied even when they wanted to make a move because of the booster situation. You had a lot of things that were convoluted, disjointed, and certainly not modern. Once you modernized the way that athletics works and the way that you tie in athletics with the boosters, and once you brought in an athletic director to actually be an athletic director and make decisions about hirings and firings in the direction of athletics in general, you wanted to see how quickly that would impact the way Florida State did business. So that's why I say let's circle back to that first move. It's very important. Um, The first thing you do is that you identify a problem and then you want to get to the bottom of that problem and and, and get to the, the, the root of that problem, get to the bottom of the issue, if you will. And so, you know, the fact that that happened so quickly on the heels of um, the, the, the bouncing, if you will, once Florida State was uh, removed from the postseason uh, by losing uh, at Auburn in the regional, uh, once that happened, you know, obviously this all wrapped up. If you look at the timeline, it wrapped up very quickly. Uh, and, and it began, I think, with the matter of Clemson throwing their name in the hat to care about baseball again. Clemson decided they wanted to spend some money. They wanted to make a move in college baseball. They identified their candidate at the time to be Link Jarrett. And I think that when that got out, obviously that might have sped up the timeline a little bit, but Florida State did not wait around. Florida State, uh, I am told, reached out to representatives uh, for Link Jarrett, understanding that, hey, uh, you know, give us give us a moment here. We're figuring some things out, but don't be hasty. Um, we're, we're interested. And once he determined that they were going to part ways with Mike Martin Jr., uh, I think the full court press was put on. I don't think there's any question. They went hard after Link Jared in that moment. Uh, and, they, and they did so in good faith. There were no Mickey Mouse offers, no nonsense. It was straight to the point. And, and, and now you see how that can work, how efficient that can be. That's a good sign. They did the same when they extended Lonnie Alameda. Uh, And I think that uh, if you go back and look, the situation with soccer was a unique one. Uh, That became a situation that was not driven by money. Uh, If it had been driven by money, then I would have second guesses uh, as to this process yet again. But it wasn't. That was a personality conflict, unfortunately. Don't need to relitigate that. Just know that they offered Mark Krikorian the most amount of money of any soccer coach in America, and he turned it down. So the point would be, Money hasn't been a problem. Identifying problems and then seeking to solve them has not been a problem. Efficiency of movement have not been a problem so far for Mike Alford. That's good news for Florida State moving forward. That's good news for all of the programs moving forward. It's also perhaps something that puts assistant coaches, head coaches for all the programs on notice. Yeah, I would think so. It brings you closer to the meritocracy we would all like this athletic department to be. And I'm not saying that necessarily that means that you know, people weren't hired who had merit. It's just there was always something with a lot of these programs uh, with the longevity of the coaches, whether you're talking about Bobby or Eleven or Sue Semrau or you know, we were lucky. That's one thing that we were lucky for at Florida State was to have long-term coaches entrenched, building traditions and excelling. But there was always a, a subtext underneath it, too. 
that sometimes, well, they've been around here forever. So can you really make a move? This seems like we're getting closer to the day where we are more of a mercenary-type athletic department. Now, I say that on the one hand, but on the other hand, if you look at the negotiations so far with either Krikorian who left or the others who've been extended or elevated or outright hired, these negotiations seem to be in good faith, which is a good thing. We've got to repair our reputation, too. That's the other thing that's going on here, because if you want good people to come work at this athletic department, not just as a head coach or an assistant coach, but in the athletic offices, you've got to show that you're a person of your word and that this is a place that you can succeed and elevate and grow and receive more money if you do all of those things. And we're getting to a place where I think in the community of athletic directors and athletic folks in NCAA sports, we're getting closer to where our reputation is in a better place, which is a good thing because it creates better candidates for you moving forward. Well, if you want it to get even more uh, improved reputationally, uh, you got to go out and win some football games. And so now we can collectively turn our attention to football, which is what most people want to do anyhow. Obviously, we are in the part of the summer that gets really exceedingly difficult for all. Not only is it uncomfortably hot, excruciatingly so, frustratingly so. Full stop. Yeah. Yeah. you know, not only is that the case, people are on their vacations. Uh, you know, we've wrapped up the NBA draft. I've got some thoughts on that, by the way, in a moment. Uh, a sad night for uh, for John Butler, who got terrible advice, and um, it, it came as no surprise that his name was not called amongst the 58 people that were drafted, only 60, but two picks were forfeited because – of uh, tampering, but bottom line is uh, 58 picks came and went. No John Butler's name uh, called. That's not a shock. I'll get back to these in a moment. That said, uh, that's now in the rear view. The championship having been won by Golden State, the draft concluded. Obviously, Florida State doesn't open football camp until July. Uh, you've got a situation similarly with a lot of these NFL camps not opening up till then. And we're at a place now where, obviously, baseball is wrapping up uh, in college. You're in the middle of the season in professional baseball. And now Florida State's made a hire at that end. And so this is truly the little dead time. So everybody begins to sink their teeth into whatever publication, whatever outlet, whatever preview they choose to try to look at. Usually that's multifaceted uh, to try to get back up to speed with college and pro football, right? That's where our head turns. This is where it happens. Now we begin to salivate once July comes around and this year, even more Tom, because obviously camps begin sooner and our camp in particular in Florida state begins sooner with the earlier start to the season. And I think we're going to need it. We're going to need it. Not just because that's great content for a talk show, not just uh, because it's great to, to, to talk football when, as soon as you possibly can. But, but I think because people have been anxious and on edge and the hand wringing has begun because there's a chance to be a significantly better football team this year. There's also the very real possibility that they don't take the step forward. There's some, some feeling of limbo here that you're nervous about because you know how important the season is. And, and so the sooner we can get to it, I think most people are ready to. Yeah, the thing I'd say to, to boost everybody's spirits, because you're right, it is entering the, the dead time here. Next week, this time next week, it's July. This time next week, it is the month in which football camp starts. And not NFL training camps, because usually that's for the NFL and not for us, but because we're up by a week for yeah. to prepare for Duquesne on the 27th, and prepare we will for the mighty Duquesne Dukes, that will be the month of football camp. So this offseason is a little bit shorter this year. I've said it before, if we could just have a week zero matchup every year, I would take it. <laughs> 
it affords you the new the second bye week. Like whatever you have to do to be even like it was uh, with South Carolina and Spurrier for so many years, where they opened up on a Thursday night in Week One. Whatever you've got to do to give yourself that extra time, that's great because it's also good for us in the media because it gets real sooner, and it's about to get real, so I'm getting excited. Yeah, the next thing that happens for us, obviously, um, is an opportunity to go to Charlotte, and we get started with the ACC kickoff. There were some football interviews today. I want to get to that. I do want to circle back to what I just mentioned here and talk about John Bettler failing to be drafted and how difficult it's going to be for him. I won't dwell on that long. We will we will take a cursory glance at the draft. By the way, I have a fun angle. It is a loosey-goosey, no matter how under the weather I feel. It is a loosey-goosey edition, Libations Friday edition of the Jeff Cameron Show. So I can point out, by the way, Tom, that not only was last night, um, on the one hand, if we're going to bring it back home, a little disappointing uh, for, for John Butler, but it was a huge betting night, and – Woj screwed up the lines on uh, the top three picks in the draft, and some of the Sharks out in Vegas really did well. And it's kind of an interesting side note, sidebar to the draft, that this has become a thing. Uh, The order in which the first five picks go is a huge betting prop now. And Woj has so much influence. Obviously, it's in the vernacular now. The common sportsman vernacular of Woj bomb is a thing. He tweeted out 24 hours earlier the order he thought it was going to go based on his sources. And, of course, he got it wrong. And by getting it wrong, he cost a lot of people a lot of money. I'm going to get to it momentarily. It's kind of a funny story. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply jeff cameron show brought to you by orange theory fitness two tallahassee locations midtown on thomasville road and north side in the village common shopping center online at orangetheoryfitness.com And we're good. Libations Friday, Lucy Goosey edition of the Jeff Cameron Show continues onward. And uh, we'll get to some of your comments, by the way, here in a moment. I saw some of you guys are noting a loss of a recruit. I will touch on that momentarily. So I said before the break that I did want to touch on the draft. Uh, and the reason being that um, not not that Duke's Paolo Banchero went number one overall to the Orlando Magic. Good luck to him. Good luck to the Magic. They seem to need it. Um, but because uh, a rare misstep occurred, ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski suffered uh, that misstep. He tweeted Thursday morning that it was, quote, increasingly firm that Auburn's Jabari Smith was going to go first overall. Gonzaga's Chet Holmgren would then go second, and Bonchero would fall to third. He reversed course 30 minutes before the draft started when he realized he got it wrong. But alas, many were locked in, and it was too late. 
and it turned out to be a huge weekend for those who stayed the course, the betterers, if you will, got it right. And it turned out to be a memorable night for sports books, betters capping what was 24 hours of um, a new day in the world of legalized U.S. sports betting, as they say, where these kinds of things now are, are increased. The handle is much bigger for drafts, and they're only going to get bigger as more and more states legalize it. And it kind of adds an extra wrinkle to watching all of these drafts because now people will bet on anything. They're going to bet on these things time and again. The baseball draft, you watched them. The NFL, obviously. I mean, it gets serious. And so if you are Woj, who gets these things right most of the time and has done a great job over the years, if you feel like that's a firm source that you got and you go with that the day of the draft and then find out 30 minutes beforehand, man, that's a toughie. That's a big miss. Well, what a way to hedge to say increasingly firm instead of just it's going to happen. That's that's an interesting phrase. Uh, I'd say that betting on where somebody falls in the draft feels like a complete conflict of interest and it should never be on the boards at all. Don't you feel like that's going to be a scandal waiting to happen at some point that you know the right information was leaked to a certain party and it's a friend of a friend of the uh, assistant general manager's intern or something along those lines and that's how you make some quick cash? It just... I don't know, man. That feels like a lot of these things are predetermined and they're mothballed so that the player and the franchise can have their moment in the sun to celebrate because nothing will short-circuit the PR boom that is having the number one overall pick in the NFL draft than it being common knowledge the day before or two days before. Like You don't get to have your time in the sun, and, and that's very valuable to these franchises. So this information is out there. I just I find it interesting that these names are on the board so frequently because I feel like it's a it's a scandal waiting to happen. Well, I, I think it's not the thing that I would bet on. I, I, I listen. The the amount of misinformation and intentional BS that is floated by all of these teams prior to the draft, so that they can try to manipulate perhaps offers from others. Man, I mean, it's it's crazy what ends up happening. I wouldn't I wouldn't touch that with a ten foot pole. I'm a degenerate to some extent, and certainly. For a lot of people listening and watching, uh, their definition of a degenerate, I would fall in that category, I suppose. Yeah, I to every that. extent, to all extents, not to some extent. Um, I don't, I don't even bet on the order of the draft, and I bet on preseason football, and I did early. Um, you know, I, I <laughs> to me, that's that's nuts. Uh, back to the more serious issue, and. It's not shocking at all. I mean, I, I, I looked at and I've been watching here since we've come on the air. I'm trying to find all well, the – do you have news? One, one have second. News? No, well, I do have some news relative to the NFL preseason. I just want folks to know and write it down in their calendars that on August the 11th, the Tennessee Titans will be traveling to Baltimore to take on Coach Harbaugh and the Ravens. Correct. So and just, he cares deeply. That's right. You have 10 days before the second game, but August the 11th. Make sure put that reminder on your phone right now because that's when the Ravens kick off the preseason. Well, I was following, uh, you know, a lot of different trackers for the undrafted free agents, the UDFAs, from this to see as we came on the air today whether or not uh, Butler was signing uh, with somebody, uh, and, and it hasn't happened as of the time that we came on the air. Now, if you get information otherwise, please let me know. But as we were coming on, he had not, and that is that is so frustrating. Uh, I feel bad for the kid. He clearly got terrible information. And he was not drafted last night after 58 picks went by. And now he has to try to catch on 
with the team as an undrafted free agent, obviously, and hope to make a roster for the NBA Summer League, which takes place July 7th through the 17th in Las Vegas. And uh, we'll see. I, that's, that has a, a sad ending written all over it, Tom. I, I have a bad feeling that, that it's not going to work out uh, at all. Uh, for for him, and if you think about, listen, Bob Miller coming is going to help FSU overcome the loss of Miller. I agree with that. I think that's going to help us a lot. He's a more skilled player with the same length and the same height, um, and and so I think obviously you, you're excited about that. But if you think of what Miller could have done had he come back, yeah, Butler uh, yeah. to go along with Bob and the rest of that roster, and it is a much more friendly environment. Uh, to try to improve your skills and certainly pack on the pounds and change your physique. And he just didn't now, now he's going to have to do it in the cutthroat world of the, of the uh, NBA summer league. If he's lucky or overseas, we'll see. I, I wish him well. That's just a terrible decision. Yeah, I agree. Now, you know, maybe they were in a position where they needed the money sooner. I, I don't know. It sounded like there was a conflict within the camp, within the team, so to speak about what his next move was going to be, but you're right. I, I I don't even know that this screams G League. This might be a Europe situation, and maybe you prove yourself because you're so young that you might get a look to come back stateside and, and play in a developmental league, and, and maybe that's your path, but it's a difficult path. It would have been a whole lot easier to stick around here and maximize your draft stock and, and take one honest crack at it. It just it felt like it was half-assed. That's what it felt like to me. Well, it, it felt like it was desperate. It felt like somebody in that camp was pushing. They did so financially, and this is what ends up happening. Uh, by the way, real quick rundown here. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, and by the way, you know what that reminded me of a little bit, by the way? Do you remember how upset we were just because, yeah, it affected Florida State negatively, uh, but it also affected uh, the player negatively, and and I can still remember you and I having this conversation um, when, when Obiagu's handlers – uh, got a hold of him and, and and steered him away from a place that he was beginning to blossom and took him to Seton Hall where he had an undistinguished career, to say the least. He averaged three points and three rebounds in 86 games and 57 starts. Uh, he must, uh, That's three more points and three more rebounds a game than I had for Seton Hall over that same time period. What are we doing? Yeah, given the way that you know we could have used a rim protector, a shot alterer the next year, that he, he won't be the best player. Like... Butler's stock could have been improved more if he came back and in, in, in terms of where he would be picked in the NBA draft board. Let's just say that Butler came back for another year or two seasons. Obiagu wouldn't have been a lottery pick or anything like that, but what he would have meant to this roster and this program and what we oh, would yeah. have been able to do that next season if Obiagu was back, I was just waiting for the payoff to come a year or two later at Seton Hall. So you say, well, okay, at least the, the kid was, you know, his handler was doing right by him. That just never came, and that's one that actually gets me very angry. There are some situations where I'm like, well, whatever. You know, that's the kid's choice. It's what he wants to do. That one just it felt like a, a terrible decision in the moment, and I guess this is another one of those that probably chalks up in that chapter, but who knows? John Butler, maybe he fills out, and uh, he lights it up from three overseas, and the next thing you know, you'll see him on a bench somewhere in the NBA three or four years from now, but it doesn't so feel like that to happen. I think everybody's rooting for that to happen. By the way, really quickly, Gregory, I'll answer your question. No, that's not what happened here. That's not what happened here at all. Uh, this is a case, again, where some people, family members and the like, wanted money, um, and so it sucks. Sucks. Uh, kid is the one who suffers. Uh, the ACC did amount to the, the matchups for the upcoming ACC Big Ten Challenge. While we're on the subject really quick, we get Purdue again, Tom. But the good news is they lost five starters. Thank God. 
<laughs> five starters, Man. including Ivy, who's really freaking good. So I'm glad that that dude's gone. And so is that uh, center that looks like he's from out of this world. And all, all those guys are gone. Yes, that's it. Get out of here. Fine. Maybe the ACC Big Ten Challenge will work better in our favor this time around. Uh, and then the only other thing I would note is that that Duke team had like everybody and their brother drafted. And, you know, listen, I'm just going to say this. For as good a coach as uh, as your favorite college basketball coach is or was now that he's retired, that team doesn't win the championship with like everybody and their brother, including the bench warmers getting drafted last night. How good a coach are we, Coach K? I mean, good Christ. That whole starting lineup, including Wendell, Tom. Wendell got drafted. God bless him. He got drafted. Don't you blaspheme me. I'm looking at you. I see you there full screen. Don't you <laughs> blaspheme me. Yeah, I will blaspheme because that's embarrassing. I, I get it. One night, one bad night in a tournament. But, brother, your whole starting five went drafted in the first round. <laughs> it's the Jeff Cameron Show Live Patience Friday, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Jeff Cameron Show Live Nation's Friday rolling on. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate you uh, fighting through it with me. As uh, again, the energy, the lack thereof, isn't an indicator of my mood, but rather just the uh, the weakness that I feel. But hey, man, I'm excited. I'm excited about uh, where we sit right now. Obviously, today's a good day. It should be a big weekend for Florida State football too. A lot of people come into town. Uh, Knowles uh, get the bad news that we talked about. I want to bring up a bigger picture here. First, I'll mention specifically uh, Randy Pittman, uh, who, by the way, his nickname is Grenade. Grenade's a good nickname. Anyhow, he uh, has decommitted from Florida State. He was a three-star tight end. Uh, I'm not as as concerned as some appear to be in the chat. 6'2", 225-pounder. Uh, that means that Florida State, uh, with his departure, is down to seven current commits for the 2023 class. And and I think I think most in the fan base is uh, rightfully uh, fretting a little bit. You know, uh, this is not a program that has real momentum in recruiting. And I think that's the easiest way to say it. They don't have hardly any momentum in recruiting right now for that class. And people look at that and they say, Recruiting is the lifeblood of all successful programs. You don't have a lot of stars uh, waiting or banging down the door to come in. What guys you do have, you feel like maybe it's tenuous. Look, guys, none of this is going to change until they win some damn games. This is where we're at. Now, they cobbled together a top 20 class this last time. Um, They were able to kind of manipulate, if you will, uh, they lost on some guys there, too, that I was angry about. Obviously, we all know about Travis Hunter, but they, they lost some others that were uh, of key importance. But they still managed between the guys they did get, and then I think by the time we took a look at those that transferred in, you'd say that Florida State put their best foot forward, given what the program's been, given where uh, we stand in the pecking order of things right now in big-time college football. That was a decent to good recruiting class. Not elite, not elite, just good. I think we would say good. You're not going to find this program on the top of the recruiting board anytime soon unless they win games. And I won't be surprised to see zero momentum as we head into the season from a recruiting standpoint. What has to happen, and we keep saying this, Those first four to five games are of vital importance 
We know how everything is sped up now. We know how important it is that you start off on the right foot and gain that momentum early when kids are having to make this decision as that time rapidly approaches. And so not only is it common sense that we talk about more wins equal more buzz in recruiting, but, you know, Tom, till we're blue in the face, we've had to have the conversation about, yeah, not Duquesne, but LSU and Louisville and Boston College, and, it, and all these games that early on, if you can find a way to be three and one through four games or for five games be four and one, you got a real chance to change your fortunes in the world of recruiting. Yeah, the question that uh, this is a good test experiment, or um, that, that's redundant, but it's a good experiment to see how important September really is with the early signing period. Because our speculation is if you play well in September and your win-loss record reflects that for the first time since you know 2015, then can you really convince some of these kids that are visiting right now to put you higher up in the pecking order slash can you get them back on campus before December 15th or whatever the day is going to be in December for National Signing Day? That's what we're all looking towards right now, and the hope is that you can do enough in September. Like, let's just say for argument's sake that they win the, the games that they're supposed to win. They, they win three out of the four or whatever it is in the month of September, so they're four and one when the page turns to October, if they can do that, and let's say for argument's sake that they do, does that actually mean that there's enough time left in the recruiting calendar to get some of these high-level kids, these blue chippers, to say yes to Florida State? That's the question I have because I don't even know if that's possible. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. It's just it seems so damn close to the time that you got to put pen to paper. That month of September, we talk about the August 27th game against Duquesne, but the, the month of September is LSU, bye week, Louisville, Boston College. Those are the games you play in September. So, you know, I think it's fair to say you got to win two of those. Uh, and I, I'm assuming a win against Duquesne in August. But the, 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 the three games you play in September are LSU, on the road at Louisville, and home to Boston College. If you want to throw in the October the 1st tilt against Wake, I understand uh, that game is at Doak as well. I mean, I think three and one, and you can start to see a shift somewhere in there. I think you start to see a shift. Yeah, I agree. I think what's interesting here, and we've gone back and forth in this debate, is which game is more important to recruits? Not necessarily to the program, but which game is more important to recruits? Would it be LSU on a Sunday night, or would it be Louisville on a Friday night? Because when you put it that way, what's more important to the 17-year-old, you could argue that the game in, in New Orleans is actually the more important game for establishing credibility as a program, especially because also it's on that first weekend of college football, which is kind of like a holiday weekend where I'm sure a lot of recruits are paying attention to a lot of these matchups because you've got a, a lot of good cross-pollination across the Power Five conferences playing each other. Well, it's a more high-profile win without question to beat LSU. LSU has... Uh, far more clout than Louisville does nationally, and 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 I would think any kind of a win. I I get that we know you and I know that LSU wasn't any good last year, and that they're going through a transformation as well with Brian Kelly taking over. But most high school kids, they're looking at names, they're looking at the cachet a program has, and LSU has a lot more than Louisville. So yeah, I would to me with with the whole nation watching that game uh, in isolation, the way that it is, when you see when you see the emblems, when you see LSU's font and you see Florida State's spear and you look at those two clashing and you say yeah th this is this this still feels like in many ways because of the history 
a big time clash. Whereas Florida State Louisville will never be that. It, it will always be, in this case, just a, an ACC game. Yeah, another argument I'd make for the LSU win being bigger, if you could get it, is that you've got a bye week right behind it. So you can go hit the road and recruit, which is what they're going to do. They're going to hit high schools as much as they possibly can the Friday nights that week and, and try to get kids in or, or do whatever it is. But they're not going to sit idly by in Tallahassee and just prepare for Louisville solely. They're going to get out there. And if you could do that at 2-0 and with a win over LSU, I think that time on the calendar provides a, a better resume builder a better icebreaker to go into those high schools to talk to those coaches or those middle people and make sure that the player understands things are turning around. Now, you've got to validate it. You can't lay an egg on a Friday night against Louisville, but it's just the momentum that that would create going into a bye week, which is huge and so vital to the coaching staffs to go out there and hit the road. Maybe that is the more important game. I guess I'm talking myself into believing, even though for ACC hierarchy's sake, the Louisville sure. game is higher. Pro I think for recruiting's sake, the LSU game might be more important. Yeah, I, I, all of them are important. This is a huge year. Uh, you, you, we get where this program is at. It's not surprising. I guess my point would be people are like, wait a minute, we're hemorrhaging. We're not gaining momentum in recruiting. How is this going to get turned around? Hey, guys, we're at the crossroads. This is nothing that Norvell is pitching right now is in all likelihood going to make much of a difference. Games are. Games are going to make the difference now. I think he's done what he could with what he could um, and, and managed to put together, again, last year, despite the disappointments, a pretty good class. You don't really get any more, um, I think, residual effects from the messaging and the new car smell that is completely worn off and all. You don't really get any more of that until you win games. Uh, the, 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 the renewed enthusiasm to be a part of a bigger class that changes Florida State's fortunes moving forward is only going to happen on the heels of a lot of wins. So he's got to win games, and if he does, all of a sudden some names that you don't anticipate uh, looking at Florida State will start to uh, because I think he's a passionate coach that does connect with players, and he's been a little bit better recruiter than I expected him to be, at least in terms of those relationships, but – uh, you know, you got to win games to, to change the hearts and minds of the of the better caliber players who have better options. Chef Cambridge, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chance. The end of an all-time great run may be at hand tonight. I'll ask you, Tom, hockey end tonight. Forgive me, sir. A little bit of directing and uh, also uh, producing on the fly. Uh, I think um, probably so. Probably so. I think they're just too beat up. gas, but not heart. I'll say that. No, they, they keep fighting like, you know, I saw a commenter yesterday said, why aren't you commenting on the pathetic effort? And it's like, well, hang on a oh. minute. They're down to five defensemen for more than a period and plus overtime in that game. Uh, Tony C., Anthony Sorelli has a, a fundamental issue with his arm where he can't take face-offs, not to mention that two or three of their stars already are really hurt, like Kucherov is hurt playing with a knee injury that he suffered in Game 3. Braden Point's not on the ice. Yeah, you might not know these names in the Tallahassee market, but suffice to say, I I've listed a lot of different names, and you only get 18 of them in a hockey game to skate for you. So that's a problem when you're down four or five key players if they find a way, I mean, it's just, it might bring a tear to my eye. This might be one of my favorite wins of the run. 
I just I can't see them winning three straight. I hope they air it out tonight, but I just don't know what they can air it out with. Yeah, no, they they don't have much left uh, in in the tank. And and again, you've alluded to the injuries and the lack of depth. For the, the other part for a lot of people, let's say you're just kind of getting into hockey. Tampa's played more hockey than any other club uh, in the entirety of the NHL, and by a lot. Um, and that's what happens when you're the most dominant franchise in the sport and you're the last one standing at the end of every year. Uh, so because the Lightning kept winning and going forward and winning and winning and winning and winning again and continuing to win and then winning again and winning again, that when that happens, eventually you've done so much winning uh, that A, you're hated, and B, you've played more than everybody else. And so I do think they resemble a team that's played a ton of hockey. Right, and the problem with the Olympic schedule this year is that the final 60 days of the season you're playing like 32 or 33 games, and that's before the playoffs. And you play every other night for two more months in the playoffs. You add that uh, to the previous years. I'm not trying to make excuses because you know me. I'm the guy for years that said there was a culture of complacency in right. Tampa. There was a real culture of complacency. They get up 3-2 in a series and lay an egg. They look disinterested. That's not the same thing as what we're seeing now. They are doing everything they can, putting life and limb in the way of the puck to stop it so it doesn't get to the goaltender uh, in every shift. And I get it. That whole overtime. 95% of it was Colorado and the ice tilted in Tampa zone. They've got no legs. They've got no yeah. legs left. And it's hard to go to altitude with less than zero legs and perform against a well-oiled machine like Colorado. So if they do it, that's wonderful. But I'm not disappointed by the effort I saw the other night. I'm, I'm actually buoyed by it. They've got the heart of a champion, and, and they've acquitted themselves unbelievably well in this run for the three-peat. And if they come all the way back, then it's – I mean, oh, just, if they come all the way back, we're wow. going to have a different conversation. We may be weeping in each other's arms if they come all the way back. I don't even <laughs> yeah, want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't I don't think they're going to come all the way back. But, hey, it's entirely possible. They do fight. They do fight. Hey, we got enough time here. I'm going to read to you from David Purdom's story, ESPN, this morning. It made me crack up laughing. And it is Libations Friday after all. We've got a few minutes. Super Bowl Sunday, Las Vegas. Drinks are flowing at a private party for VIPs inside a Japanese restaurant at the Bellagio. High rollers are betting shots or taking shots of fireball on whether the next play in the Super Bowl between Kansas City and Tampa Bay would be a run or a pass. Things got sloppy. In the middle of all, Tanner Flynn, a tech salesman from Nashville, was sledding the last leg of an $8 parlay placed seven months earlier. The bet would pay over $20,000 on an $8 bet. The first four legs of the parlay are a hit. Usman had beaten Masvidal at UFC. The Lakers had won the 2020 NBA championship at plus 260. The Dodgers had won the 2020 World Series at plus 380. The Lightning had won the 2020 Stanley Cup at plus 600. The Bucks, who were 15 to 1 to win the Super Bowl when Flynn placed the bet with FanDuel July 7th, 2020, jump out to a 21 to 6 lead. Flynn was half one half away. I'm correctly predicting the champions of all four major U.S. professional sports. At halftime, he posted a picture of his parlay on Twitter, adding one more blanking half. The tweet went viral. That night is a bit of a blur, Flynn told ESPN. I was extremely intoxicated. I couldn't figure out how to turn off my Twitter notifications at the time. So the whole night, everything just kept buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. The Bucks go on to win 31-9. That parlay paid out approximately 2,600 to 1. Fast forward 16 months to this week, and remarkably, Flynn is in position to do it again, Tom. If the Avalanche no. finish off the Lightning to win the Stanley Cup, for the second straight year, he will have correctly predicted the champion of the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL in a parlay bet 
with huge odds. He said, I guess I'm just a little bit lucky and a little bit crazy. The Avs is who he picked to win the Stanley Cup. He already had, obviously, Golden State. That's rather remarkable, I might add. Uh, this is pretty cool to see, but back-to-back -back is unheard of, and he's about to be a millionaire if it happens, and I think he's in good shape. Wow, that's incredible. You know, for years in the NBA, it would be predetermined. It's one of two teams. Golden State, obviously, is a, a dynasty of its own, but they weren't thought to be the, the odds-on favorite early on this year. Clay coming back was a good thing for them, but it wasn't like this was going to no, be the KD no, and Steph not. Curry Golden State Warriors. It's not going to be like that. To do that twice... I mean, Colorado's a good pick. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dog that. Uh, but that is just, I mean, and what, what's his wager though? If it's twenty six hundred to one for the first bet, how much is he, th is he throwing down? It's got to be a huge amount. Uh, I gotta, I can read further in the story. If he's in a lounge in Vegas, he's doing well. I mean, he's throwing a lot of money into it. Would be my point. Yeah, he's done quite well for himself. Um, I, I've been impressed uh, to see the amount of people, and we're gonna start doing this privately on our own. Let's get together at the start of each year, each betting calendar, Tom, and see if we can't predict the winners of the major sports. Because I don't know, you probably would have taken the lightning at the start of this, maybe just out of, well, A, they're an elite team, but B, there is some sentimentality there. I don't know. Would you have taken, who would you have taken yeah. if you didn't take lightning? Uh, I would have been Colorado if I didn't take Tampa. 100%, just because I, I thought our legs were shot and we lost our third line, so that would have been tough. That would have been tough. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I am kind of. I don't think any either one of us would have taken Golden State. In fact, I'm sure we wouldn't have. No, there's you no might way. Have, you might have been willing to take Boston. You might have been willing to take Milwaukee I, to back it up. I don't think we would have taken Golden State. I'll say that. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, to me, I wouldn't have taken um, – what unless the Rams were getting good value, I wouldn't have picked them either. I mean, it, well, we identified the Rams as a pretty good pick, though. When they made the moves, they decided to put the chips on the table. We we, we thought they had a good shot. You may not have taken them, but I, one of us in our group would have taken the Rams. They were we felt like they were a quarterback away. Yeah, for the value, yes, probably like Indianapolis this year. That'd be a good pick because you're getting great value. Yeah, it's fun. This is good. We'll do this at the start of this. Now that we know that there's a guy out there steady winning it on his own on a regular basis. Hour number two forthcoming. Stay with.